You're listening to Wicked Good Lawyers, the show that discusses all facets of the legal industry, the good, bad, and most importantly, the funny, through the stories and advice of trailblazer attorneys from across the country. I'm your host, Shiloh Maloney, a fifth-year associate at Barton Gilman, and welcome back for this week's episode. Looking for a court reporter for a deposition, arbitration, trial, or interview? Reach out to U.S. Legal Support. They provide on-demand access to more than 12,000 offices in over 2,700 cities across the country and have working business relationships with 5,000 independent court reporting professionals. No matter where you are or your state's requirement, they can provide an experienced professional court reporter for any situation. Reach out to U.S. Legal Support. Many litigation attorneys struggle to collect, review, and produce electronic information, including emails, texts and chats, social media posts, and e-docs. At Datamine Discovery, they soundly collect and process this information efficiently to a host review platform at an affordable rate. Every litigator deserves to have eDiscovery review software that is efficient and affordable with access to customer service and project managers that make them feel supported. Hundreds of litigation attorneys from Boston and beyond trust Datamine every month to assist them with eDiscovery. You should too. Hey everyone, this is Shiloh Maloney with Wicked Good Lawyers. Our special guest today is Randall Yee. Randall Yee is an executive recruiter with the legal and compliance practice of LHH Recruitment Solutions, where he helps match top-level attorneys with legal organizations throughout New England. LHH is a part of the ADECO Group, the world's leading talent adversary and solutions company. Prior to transitioning into legal recruiting, Randall spent a dozen years as a practicing attorney in greater Boston area, including working in private practice in the public sector and as in-house counsel for companies in the fuel, childcare, and real estate investment industries. Randall has served on the boards of a number of community-based nonprofits and now lives with his wife and their three young children in Newton, Massachusetts, where Randall grew up. In his spare time, Randall loves to play basketball, follow the Boston Celtics avidly, and teaches martial arts in a kid's karate program. Welcome, Randall. We're so excited to have you. Thank you, Shala. I'm so excited to be here with you. Yes. So in today's episode, Randall and I will be discussing the many elements of working from home, as well as Randall's transition into a legal recruiting gig and his tips on landing your dream job. So our three segments here today are Honey, I'm Home, From Corporate Counsel to Legal Recruiting, and Landing Your Dream Job. So, Randall, I thought it'd be fun to start the segment off with something funny called Honey, I'm Home. And we know that it's been a crazy two years with everyone adjusting work from home, uh, with significant others working at home with them, roommates, kids, pets, you name it. And as well as the never-ending struggles of slow Wi-Fi speed, you and I witnessed that here today, this morning, high expectations from supervisors and the ongoing turmoil of COVID-19. I just want to start by asking you, Randall, how has work from home been going for you? So overall, it's, it's been it's been pretty good now. <laughs> and I say now, <laughs> the beginning of 
COVID, as everybody experienced, it was definitely bonkers. And yeah, I agree. At the time I was corporate counsel uh, for a company before I became a recruiter. And um, it was high stress, right? I had, I had two kids at the time. We had to pull them out of school and everything shut down. And at, at the same time, I had to learn how to you know, work remotely, which was new to me because I worked in the office. And then I also had to learn how to be educator for my two kids. Yeah, right. <laughs> when they were home, I needed to make sure that things were going well for them. Obviously, they were adjusting to new things as well. They were young. I had a kindergartner at the time and a toddler. And so things were just crazy at the time. And then things started easing up a little bit when uh, I could bring them back to school. And then I had a third child and I added this. <laughs> but, you know, now that they're all old enough to be out of the house during the work days and the fact that I've changed my career a little bit, <laughs> I've done a career pivot, um, yeah. I, I like to say. I've been uh, pretty, pretty good. I enjoy the flexibility. I do miss my colleagues, though. I do yeah. miss being with people in person. Um, there is something to be said about the, the human connection, right? We can do all this Zoom team stuff. And it's great to see people, but it's not the same connection. And, and I think, I guess my point is that I'm feeling a little bit lonely, you know, working remotely. Yeah. I've been hearing that a lot. Yeah, it's different with the work from home element. You don't have the same personality um, interaction, the same energy. I've seen that throughout. I've been lucky at Barton Gilman. We are on a hybrid model. So we go in uh, a couple of days a week, but then we also get to work home a couple of days a week. It gives us flexibility. I think people see that also as parents. I'm not a parent yet, but I can see being able to do different tasks that you wouldn't be able to do while you're still in the city or in the office. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think the the flexibility is key. Um, and I think a lot of people are looking for that. But also at the same time, you need to build that that connection with people, right? And I think the hybrid right. the hybrid arrangement is, is is it's a good option. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's hard to pick one way or the other. You know just as well as me, especially in the legal industry. We were kind of ancient with the technology side of things. Firms weren't really doing hybrid options for attorneys. I'm sure your office might have been not doing that as well. So to have this new integration, I think, has been obviously good and bad. There's pros and cons. As you're saying, people feel lonely. They're not getting that personal connection. But working from home also has its interesting moments. I know during COVID early on, me and my fiance, we were in a one bedroom, both working from home. And I had an incident where I was on a court hearing and I could hear him in the living room playing video games. And I was just wishing, wishing that he does not scream when it's time for my motion hearing, because what can you say? What's the judge going to say? Who's yelling in the background? I don't have kids, right? So it's just a different dynamic. Have you experienced any instances like that when you're working from home? Certainly. And I, I think what you brought up is like everybody's fear, right? You're being interrupted in a very important meeting or yeah. anything like that. You know, I, so I have kids and I also have a dog, a yapping dog, and she barks incessantly sometimes. <laughs> so right now, she's I placed her in a different room. So she wouldn't start barking. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I recall in the beginning of, you know, the shutdown, there, there were memes that were always popped up and there was this, there's one that we were talking about earlier where, you know, mm-hmm. there was a person in the meeting and the child ran through the door and the mother kind of had to kind of sneak the child out. Well, my situation occurred where I was in a very important call on, on video. And this was my prior job. And so I, we were talking about something serious. 
And all my my one of my children were was home sick, and all of a sudden I started hearing screaming. Like I was like, "What's going on?" It threw up all over the kitchen floor, and so oh my god! Ah, <laughs> all right, I had to halt the meeting, which was you know, kind of embarrassing. But you know, fortunately at the time, I think everybody was going through the same thing, right? And so yeah. everybody was understandable, and they're like, "Just go!" <laughs> it's like, "All right, take care of it. Gotta go throw up. You gotta clean up." Throw up. <laughs> I know. I feel like you see people in a different element now. It's almost nice to make people more personable. It puts different element in the relationship, even though it's virtual or professional situation where you have to keep your cool as a professional, but they know you're a parent. They know you have other responsibilities. It's not going to be a flawless in the office, quiet, no distraction kind of thing. Even then things come up. I had an incidence where I was on a board call and a person was home with their child and the child walks in with a piece of bologna on their face with the eyes and the mouth cut out. And she was sticking her tongue out at us during the whole video. And it took everything inside of me not to laugh out loud. It was so hard because I know she wanted us to engage, but that mom, she kept her cool so well, even when the daughter started climbing on the table where her computer was. And you would never see that before COVID, I don't think. I haven't seen it. So, yeah. Yeah. One of the pros about what's happened with this uh, work from home model is that, you know, I think we've, the whole concept of bringing your whole self to work is really true now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yes, right. Intimate parts of their lives now. It's like, the plus side of that is you get to know your your colleagues a little bit better, even though we're not meeting in person. It's like, I know, you know this person has what's going on in their house now. And, it, and it's like, it makes them more identifiable. Yeah, you know? I agree with that. It just is a different level. I don't know if everyone likes that um, sure. extended <laughs> touch, but it does make it more personable, especially in difficult situations. I mean, they might not know what's happening at home. People might not want to share that, but in this element, it's kind of more common to be open to that, where I think this industry wasn't always like that. But yeah, so I can definitely tell we've both have instances where work from home isn't as smooth as one would hope. But where do you think you see the work from home trend going? I know as a legal recruiter, you probably get more information on the inside from law firms, what their trend is, what their long-term plans are. How do you see this going forward? Yeah, I think the the long-term play here, I think a lot of firms aren't necessarily sure what they're mm-hmm. going to be doing long-term. I will say that what I've heard is that, you know, I don't think the hybrid arrangement or any remote is going to be going away anytime soon. And I think attorneys, firms recognize that attorneys can have been successful the last couple of years. They've been productive. And so it's hard to take that away from them. I don't see as much fully remote opportunities out there anymore, right? And yeah. I think part of it is that, especially for newer attorneys, you know, it's good for them to be in the office at least some of the time to get trained up, to get the mentorship. And I think mm-hmm. firms and partners recognize that they need to be able to be in the office too to provide that guidance, right? And so I'm hearing a lot more of firms doing a two days in the office or three days in the office arrangement, which, you know, and I've also heard firms where they're doing maybe at least one day remote, but the, right. I think at least the flexibility is not going away entirely. I don't, I don't perceive firms coming in as you know, saying you have to be in the office five days a week anymore, right? That, that's just right. days of the past. And so, you know, they candidates too, it's it's a competitive advantage 
for firms to be able to offer hybrid arrangements or some at least some sort of flexibility because candidates they're also accustomed to being at home right now and so yeah that's what they're looking for yeah they're looking for that and so candidates are looking for any some sort of flexibility it depends on what type of flexibility is i think is the next question i think firms are trying to be creative um mm -hmm. to see what they can do i've heard of firms doing you know let fewer days in the office but mandate which days to be in the office i've also heard of firms you know expecting or encouraging attorneys to come into the office more but maybe on the fringes giving them a little bit more flexibility right times come right. in on the days, days yeah yeah, and what's interesting, I did a very informal LinkedIn poll of my network to see what people would want, right? What what candidates are interested mm -hmm. in. I voted on that poll, I remember. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and interesting enough, it, it seems that the two questions was, do you want to be in the office less on mandate, mandated days or more with more flexibility? And at least in my network, it seemed like 61% said they would prefer to be in the office less with mandated days. So that was interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it, at least with adults, if you're a parent or not a parent, it just helps you schedule your days better. In the most part, I'm in litigation for my practice, and I can usually anticipate what days I have to go to court, what days I have depositions. Those don't usually sneak up on you as much as other things. So it is nice to plan. I know at Bar and Gilman, we aren't mandated days, and I appreciate that because the schedule changes week to week sometimes. So I can definitely see both sides of the coin. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And even firms where they say they're offering more remote duties, I'm hearing that it's more, yes, remote, but we'd like you to be close enough to commute mm -hmm. to office when needed. Right? And so I think those like national, you know, can work from a different state. I think that's not as common as it was maybe a year, or a year ago. Yeah, I thought that was kind of going by the wayside. It would be cool to work in Hawaii, but all your work is out of Massachusetts. I mean, wouldn't that be the dream for some people? But I think especially in the legal industry it just doesn't always work and we're also a slower industry to make a big change like that i definitely appreciate you sharing the trends you've been seeing and i know as a younger associate when covid first hit with the shutdown i had just started at my old firm and i was there for one month and then i had to work completely from home so it is a big transition to be fully remote, especially at a new firm. I think that's a benefit to show face, meet people, just getting your name out there, getting new cases, just learning the dynamic of the business and the firm is easier to me in person. I'm sure other people flourish at home, but I think at some points it's hard to get all those milestones the same way as you would if you're in office, but yeah, so. Yeah. I think it depends on each person too, but I think you're right. You know, I, I recall when I was a New York associate, you know, you learn by being with people and mm -hmm. watching them, hearing them. And sometimes when you're at home, you don't you don't get that, <laughs> right? <laughs> right, you don't get that, no. So I, I think on that side of things, uh, you know, associates should try to seek those opportunities to be in person. But also on the firm side of things, they also need to recognize that they need to offer some flexibility to be competitive. To be competitive, I know, especially now. I feel like the, the market is so tough. You're seeing everyone jumping. I don't even know where everyone's going, but it's hard to retain good talent. So I, I agree. I think that's what younger attorneys are looking for, even older attorneys who want the flexibility as well. They've been in the industry for a while, and this was kind of something they've always been hoping for, to have more of a, quote, work-life balance. Where our industry is rather ancient, has the increased need for technology, have you seen the impact, pros and cons on our industry, aside from from work-life balance? 
you know, I, I think it, techno the need for technology definitely impacted things in the sense that firms are starting to invest more strategically in their mm. technology because they do know that, you know, they're going to probably ultimately have to have more remote or hybrid opportunities, right? And so they need to make sure that their equipment, their AV system, um, audiovisual equipment are all yeah. up to date. But they're doing it because they know to keep attorneys, right, to retain them and to attract talent, they need to be as innovative as possible. I think the newer generation of attorneys are used to technology, they're tech savvy. Mm -hmm. And so those firms aren't strategically thinking long-term, right? They're not going to be able to keep up with those attorneys, especially partners, right? Who who really need a good platform to be successful. Um, yeah. So not, they're not investing in the technology, then they're not they're not gonna be able to outpace their competitors, right? And mm -hmm. with typically with a recession, right? Or potential recession that might be coming. I think a lot of organizations look at places where they can cut costs and expenses, right? right? That's just natural. In the past, technology may not have been as much of a, a priority to do that. So that was one area that maybe they didn't invest in. But now because of the need for you know tech in different areas, I think firms are prioritizing that and looking elsewhere to cut costs, which impacts the legal industry, right? Right, yeah. I think it depends on firm to firm and what they're, what they're looking at. But I think to be successful, they're looking, at great, looking for great talent, but how do you get there? You have to get great technology too. Yeah, I think that's so true. I also, I laugh a little because I think about some people who've been in the industry for their whole career, 40, 50 years. I do wonder what the technology impact on them has been. Have they been more open to learning or do they rely on the younger associates to kind of do all that work? But I guess we'll see how time goes on, how the firms are doing. Because I haven't really seen any CLEs or meetings to teach basic things that you would need for a certain technology that people assume everyone knows. But I mean, we laughed about it earlier, the I'm not a cat video where the attorney was using the Zoom and he shows up as a cat and he needs his assistant to come in. And it's just all these things that you kind of take for granted with younger attorneys knowing this. But I mean, people who've been in the industry for a while, they want to be just as good, I think. So we'll see what happens there, too. If they're anything like my parents, some of the older <laughs> uh, partners, they might have a little anxiety, right? To, right. to learn some of these platforms. So I think it is well worth it for firms to, you know, invest not only in the, the technology, but also in training people. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> tech in the legal world is really colliding. I mean, especially now that, you know, even if you consider cybersecurity, right, they need to invest in those type of technologies to make sure that, you know, matters are are protected right mm -hmm. so, yes yeah all the breaches and everything yeah exactly so it certainly has an impact i think on how people practice too well that's great thanks for sharing all your insight on the honey i'm home segment looking for a court reporter for a deposition arbitration trial or interview reach out to u.s legal support they provide on-demand access to more than 12,000 offices in over 2,700 cities across the country and have working business relationships with 5,000 independent court reporting professionals. No matter where you are or your state's requirement, they can provide an experienced professional court reporter for any situation. Reach out to US Legal Support.
Many litigation attorneys struggle to collect, review, and produce electronic information, including emails, texts and chats, social media posts, and e-docs. At Datamine Discovery, they soundly collect and process this information efficiently to a host review platform at an affordable rate. Every litigator deserves to have eDiscovery review software that is efficient and affordable with access to customer service and project managers that make them feel supported. Hundreds of litigation attorneys from Boston and beyond trust Datamine every month to assist them with eDiscovery. You should too. Okay, Randall, now we're going to transition into our next segment from corporate counsel to legal recruiters. This is our segment to talk about all about you. I'd love to hear your story, where you're from, the experience you've had so far in your career, and anything else you'd like to share. I know you're known as a career matchmaker, you're a father, a spouse, an attorney, but tell me, who is Randall Yee? Well, you think this part is the easy part, but sometimes I get nervous talking about myself. <laughs> so I'm, talking about themselves, but I'm not one of them. So That's here it goes. Okay. <laughs> so who am I? I'm, uh, you know, I was born and raised in, in the Boston area. I'm a, the youngest of three, uh, two older sisters. My father's a trained doctor. My mom uh, is a retired elementary school teacher. While I grew up in Newton, Mass, my, my family has strong roots in Chinatown. My family's originally from there. we been there for generations, eventually moving up to the suburbs. Uh, so I've, you know, for me, part of my identity, really my tie to my Chinese culture mm-hmm. and also, you know, my community, I would say beyond just the legal community is the Asian American community in Massachusetts uh, and beyond. So uh, I like to say that, you know, my professional career while I became an attorney, it's also tied in with how to support diverse efforts, um, especially the Asian American community, just because, you know, I know I saw where my my parents are from, my grandparents are from. So it went some of the issues that they dealt with. And so to the extent that I've tried to tie everything together in my career, you know, I, I really focus on helping people, right? And, and really focus on, uh, on improving diversity issues. Uh, and also, you know, I think for someone who, for like me, I, I basically grew up in Newton and Chinatown. So I saw the dichotomy of a very affluent uh, suburb and also a working class community back in the 80s where, you know, I, I lived, not lived with my grandparents, but my parents would drop me off there. I was younger. And so I remember uh, being in that community and also seeing what what goes on in Newton. And I just always wanted to really bridge the gap. And so now in my career, if I can help those who, you know, are trying to take the next level in their their life and, and improve their their situation. I want to help them. I know? love that. Yeah, I totally support that too. It's so nice to have almost like a passion, an identity that you feel really connected with and people that you want to help. Yeah, yeah. And um, besides that, you know, I, I have three young children, eight-year-old, five-year-old, and two-year-old. So, they so you have me- your hands full. <laughs> Keep me busy. I love it. Um, I love being a father. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I will say, I think switching into this career has also given me a little bit more flexibility to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I went to school, Newton Public Schools. I met my wife there. And so we've been together ever since senior year. So my high school sweetheart. Oh, high school sweetheart. <laughs> you don't hear that much anymore. That's really sweet. Yeah. And so, I mean, 
don't know what else you want to know. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that's really nice. I'm familiar with Chinatown because New England Law, where I went to school, right up the road. So it's a great community. I know it's very connected with each other. But then you also have other organizations, either citywide in Boston or statewide, who really try to connect with their roots, whether it's the Asian American groups or really LGBTQ. Something I love about Boston is the diversity and also how many people love to be allies with other groups. I don't know if it's always been like that, but I am happy that's what we're seeing nowadays. Where did you go to college and law school? So I um, for college, I my first year I actually went to Bowdoin up in Maine. Then and I and I I did like it. It was just a little too small for me, so I actually transferred and went to Tufts. Um, okay, a little bit closer to home. I enjoyed. You know, I, I like being in the urban environment. And so Tufts was a, a really good location for me. And then for law school, I ended up going to Suffolk University Law School. It's also in Boston. Nice. Uh, yeah. You can see the theme. I'm, I'm basically born <laughs> <laughs> in the area. They can't get you out of it. <laughs> I, lo- I love the Boston area, right? And me I too. I'm here. <laughs> Right. I always think what's not to love, except the winter blizzards. I don't know. They're not for me, but that's okay. It's funny. I, you know, everybody says, don't you, you know, how, how do you stand the winters? I can't. <laughs> like, I still can't stand it, but something I deal with and, you know, whatever. It's, it's yeah, like, it is what it is. I mean, yeah, it's only four to five months of darkness and cold, but I will share her. Three of the four seasons are excellent here. Right. Yes, I, I, I will echo that. And I will share for our listeners, we're filming on November 7th, and it is currently 75 degrees out, which is rare to see after also a 75 degree weekend. So I'll take it when we get it. Oh, yeah, I, I love it. <laughs> I love the warm falls. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So after Suffolk Law, where did you start off as a first year? Sure. So I graduated law school in 2009, which at the time, um, I don't know if some of the callers or listeners remember, it was, it was pretty bad yeah. mm-hmm. graduate law school. Fortunately, I was able to find um, uh, an opportunity with a firm called Lou and Frasca, which is a boutique estate planning and business law firm. And so I spent my first couple of years there um, in practice. Were they in Boston? They were out in the suburbs. Um, okay. So I was able to work with them, learn from them, you know, how to practice law, right? And then from there, I ended up moving into some other avenues. I also wanted to learn how to be a trial attorney. So I ended up going to uh, the Committee for Public Counsel Services, uh, working in the Children and Family Law Division. So, oh, that's so great. Yeah. And then eventually made my career, which was the majority of my legal career, in-house, where I worked for several companies in the area doing mostly general you know, corporate matters, which I enjoyed. I did really enjoy working with companies, uh, representing their needs and helping them get their services out to their clients. Right. And also, obviously, working with the non-lawyers, too. Was fun. <laughs> yeah. What type of companies was it? Tech, uh, pharmaceutical? Um, so the first company was a fuel service provider. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the next one was a child care provider. OK. Uh, Bright Horizons, which was, was also lined well with the time in my life because I also had young children at the time. Oh, yeah. Um, the great company. And then I also worked for a residential investment uh, management company. That's a cool variety. You don't always get that. Yeah. What's interesting about being in-house, I would say, is that you can kind of float in and do different industries, but the legal work essentially the same, right? So okay. if you build up a certain skill set, mm-hmm. you can make it transferable. And that's what I found as I went through different companies and different roles. Right? What you know, type of skills would that be? 
Well, mostly when you go in-house, oh, you have to be smart, first of all. <laughs> yeah. Smart working. You have to be malleable. You have to be able to learn uh, and, and be willing to learn. And I think what what's great about the, the value that we learned in, in, in law school is that we might not be an expert in everything, but we know how to be an expert in a yes. specific yeah. area, right? And so I think when you go in-house, you know, the corporate skill set, uh, having a business acumen is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're not just a lawyer, but you're also a business partner to yeah. them. You have to think strategically. I think if you can do that, I, I think those are certain skill sets you need when you go in-house, but at the same time, those are skill sets you need in a law firm too, right? You're representing clients. Even you might you might be outside counsel, but the most valuable outside counsel, right? And I had experience working with outside counsel when I was in house. The best outside counsel are the people who understand your business. Yeah. Right? And understand how to strategically advise you. And so even if you're an associate if you're an associate in a law firm, those are the same skill sets you need, right? Um, to to be successful. And I, I see a lot. I mean, you might always hear too, in-house is the quote unquote dream. Everyone says that, you know, you don't usually have the billable hour, but it's hard to get into that industry right out of law school. So it's nice to hear kind of your transition. You learn some skills at a smaller firm. I always applaud my smaller firms that I worked at early on to learn those basic skills. They have the time to actually teach you and they're interested in paying it forward and teaching the next attorney how to do it. And then you're able to transition that into something else, which is super cool. I think that when you're in law school versus when you're practicing law, it is somewhat of a different different type of way to work, right? And the thing, right. so I think when you're coming out of law school, right, you have to get into how do you practice law? The certain skill sets, how do you draft something? How do you write a contract? How do you negotiate the deals? The basic skill sets, right, that w- you can use in other venues, but you still need yeah. to get trained up on that. And I think working at a law firm does really provide that guidance and learning from people. I think going in-house right away can be tricky because generally you're not you when you go in-house, you're already expected to have a certain baseline of skill sets. Right. You don't train as much on those kind of things. You might get trained up on the business needs, right, of the company and what mm-hmm. what those are. But in terms of the legal skill sets, coming as a younger or newer attorney, really you should be developing as best you can in, in an environment where you're working closely with a partner or someone or a mentor who can provide that guidance and training. Yeah, that's such great advice. And what year did you transition from being a private practice attorney into in-house? I think that was my fourth year at the time. Yep. Yeah, that's. I feel like that gives you a, a broad experience. I mean, you're not going to learn everything in four years, but you can kind of see the big picture, which I think is super helpful. And we all know, based on our uh, episode here today, that you are not in-house counsel currently. You're a legal recruiter. So what made you switch into that? And at what year did you do that? Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. While I was practicing or or working in the legal field as a lawyer, I did enjoy it. (laughs) At the same time, I had other interests. Okay. Um, And I think after 12 years of being a practicing attorney, right, in the mix of different venues, I decided I wanted to do something different. But I think it also goes back to the fact that I, you know, as I think about it, I never really wanted to be um, a practicing attorney long term. Okay. I wanted to obviously be a good lawyer. I wanted to learn the skill sets that we all learned in law school and develop as we progress. But 
some of my other interests also, you know, included how to learning about how organizations run uh, from a, a management perspective and also from an operational perspective. And I think that eventually that was the reason why I went in house. I wanted to learn how organizations run, right? And so right. once I made that trans realization that okay, how do I utilize my JD and my legal skill sets, but do it in a way that maybe fits or closely with what I wanted to do long-term, you know, I, I landed in recruiting because I was like, you know, this is, it's a people job, right? People, yeah. people job. And I can help organizations, firms identify the right people, the right talent to help them continue to grow their businesses, right? Wh whichever business they're in. And so I, after speaking with, you know, several legal recruiters who have made the similar transitions, I thought this was kind of a great, great career path for me. Awesome. I'm sure listeners out there who don't really know what to do next, and they probably feel the same way. They're, I want to be a good attorney. I just don't think I want to practice forever. And there's so many different avenues. So I think this is a great episode for those type of people to listen to and everyone, because when you go to law school, you don't hear about these other jobs. You kind of hear associate to partner. That's it. Associate to partner or public service. At least that's what I heard. I don't know if that's what you heard as well, but it's nice to see different opportunities, different faces, different experiences. So before we get into how Randall landed his gig as a career matchmaker, let's hear from today's show sponsors. attorneys struggle to collect, review, and produce electronic information, including emails, texts and chats, social media posts, and e-docs. At Datamine Discovery, they soundly collect and process this information efficiently to a host review platform at an affordable rate. Every litigator deserves to have eDiscovery review software that is efficient and affordable with access to customer service and project managers that make them feel supported. Hundreds of litigation attorneys from Boston and beyond trust Datamine every month to assist them with eDiscovery. You should too. Looking for a court reporter for a deposition, arbitration, trial, or interview? Reach out to U.S. Legal Support. They provide on-demand access to more than 12,000 offices in over 2,700 cities across the country and have working business relationships with 5,000 independent court reporting professionals. No matter where you are or your state's requirement, they can provide an experienced, professional court reporter for any situation. Reach out to U.S. Legal Support. And we're back. So just transitioning back a little where we were talking about different career paths. Randall, can you share with us some avenues that they don't always share to students in law school or even first year attorneys that they can pursue aside from being your typical practicing attorney? Yeah, I mean, I, I think what you had just said that when you're in law school, you're only certainly taught certain career paths, right? And right. Same thing happened to me. I, I I didn't know what was out there. It took me basically a decade to figure out, oh, what else is out there? Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, of course, legal recruiting is one of them, but with explosions like legal tech, right? Yeah. It, it, that whole field, legal operations, um, it, it, that's exploding. And I think people with 
uh, JDs, right, who don't necessarily want the, the traditional uh, lawyer path, they can go into something like that. I mean, people go into sales all the time, right? And so having, I think, um, a certain acumen to, to, to learn, right, you can go into various different things. And I, I think teaching is another avenue. Uh, you know, there, there's certainly a different paths that might not be obvious right now. Uh, but as you, you know, you talk to, to I think going in-house once upon a time was seen as a non-traditional. Yes, yeah. That's obviously exploded, right? Um, you can be a privacy officer, you don't, right? You don't necessarily have to practice law, but get into privacy. That, that's a huge, huge space too. Um, get into politics. We all know a lot of lawyers like to get into politics. Mm -hmm. <laughs> too, right? And so there are different, certainly different uh, career paths you can take. And it's nice to hear you talking about um, positions with, for people with JDs. I know a lot of people, they kind of feel that being an attorney is all there is with a JD, but that's not true. You know, the years, whether it's three years, day, four years, night that you spend in law school, those skills can transition to so many different things, even if you're not a practicing lawyer, as we are discussing here today. But I, I think the diversity that's opening up for people, not just in Massachusetts, but across the country will give more opportunity to people who only have a JD. You know, some people don't want to sit for the bar exam at all. I remember those nightmares that I had even sometimes I still have them. I don't know about you, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, some people just don't want to go through that. And I totally get that. But I think there's a lot more opportunity now, which is super cool. I don't think it was like that either in the 70s or when even women started becoming lawyers even before that. So it is nice to hear the different transitions. What steps did you take when you were looking into becoming a legal recruiter that you found most beneficial? Oh, speaking with people, I mean, before you get into anything, you really have to do your due diligence. I mm -hmm. think. Um, and so the steps I took, one, well, first of all, I need to figure out what I wanted to do. Right. So I internally, right, it, it, to try to figure out what my mission, what what is my passion, right? Um, but you know, in terms of the practical things, what I did, I spoke with several legal recruiters, uh, folks who were transitioned similar to how I made the transition from being an attorney to a recruiter. Um, and you know, the, the more I talked to them about what they did, you know, it sounded very appealing. And so, you know, for those who are interested in a certain career path that might not be the traditional mm -hmm. path, talk to people in the field first. <laughs> that's what that, I definitely That's recommend. good advice. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to always know what it's like until you're in it, though. Sometimes I feel like that, you know, you interview for firms or different positions and you're like, how do you know what it's like until you're there? So it is super important to network and talk to people in the industry, um, reach out to people that have a job you love and you want to learn more about it. I have never found somebody not interested in at least sharing even for a few minutes what they did to get where they are or any advice for somebody, which is nice to know that people like to pay it forward. Yeah, like if I wanted to run my own podcast, I'd come to you first. You know what? I just woke up one day. I was like, it's happening. So here we are. But I appreciate the support on that. Um, and going back to your career as a legal recruiter, how would you describe your typical day-to-day -day or week as a legal recruiter? Um, sure. So I would say there is no typical week. Things change all the time because there's so many factors in what you do. You're, you're working with you know, for me, I, I work with clients, 
trying to understand what their needs are. Um, and then I go out and try to identify the candidates, the talent, right, that they're looking for. And so from, I guess, generally speaking, uh, the way I try to, to play my week is that, you know, I have to be strategic on a weekly basis, right? I have to find what, just real, um, figure out which roles I want to work on. We have a lot. We do have a lot of clients who are looking for top uh, attorneys, right? And so because there might be a lot, you need to really focus. And so I focus on a few a week. I, I try to identify uh, as many candidates that we're currently working with and maybe even new candidates to see if there's a good fit. Um, I reach out to them. I talk to a lot of attorneys um, every week um, to get a feel for where they are or if they're interested in this particular. I, con I conduct thorough interviews, you know, because part of my job as an agency recruiter is really to, to do the first screening, mm -hmm. um, uh, to make sure that that person is a qualified candidate. And so I am trying to learn as much about uh, the candidate's background, their experiences, but I'm also trying to learn figure out their, their career objectives because maybe a role isn't the right fit for them. Right, long-term or what right, the long -term. company's and looking for. Exactly, and so part of my job is also to help those candidates find the right spots for them, right? Um, and then, you know, other things that I do during the week, I, I help candidates interviewing, I help with the interview prep, I try to get, get them through the whole process, I help negotiate terms, and then, you know, I, I do a lot of counseling. And so mm -hmm. week from week, it can change depending on what you're working on, um, but that generally is what I do. Yeah, that sounds great. And to be able to meet so many different people, learn the different cultures of firms and trying to find the right fit. I think that's very unique. I don't know. I don't think everyone could do that. So you definitely have certain skills and a certain personality that makes it a successful career. Do you have certain pros and cons? I know you love being a legal recruiter, but everyone has those days. So if there's anything you feel that you could candidly share with us. Sure. Obviously, the pros is helping people. And I think I mentioned earlier, part of my mission, you know, career mission is to help people, right, uh, no matter where they are. And so I think that's definitely a pro. Also, another pro I would say is that for someone who likes to connect with people, build relationships, this is a great role to be in, right? You're not necessarily just sitting in front of a computer doing your Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, no offense. But it's like, <laughs> you're, you're so my to, day every day. No, I'm <laughs> you're able to get out there and talk to people, build the relationships. And so that I think that's the best part. Right. Um, and then, you know, some I think the cons of this job is that, unfortunately, I can't help everybody. Right. right. Um, I think the nature of what I do, it, it really depends on one's experience. Right. Their background and what they're looking for. And so, you know, as part of my role, you know, I have to be very candid too about, you know, why I can't help that person or what they can, what they need to do better in order to be someone who can be candidate for a specific role, right? And, and, you know, unfortunately we do work within, you know, the frameworks of what our clients want. And right. So if they have a certain skill set that they need or parameters, you know, my job is to help find those who can fit within those, that framework. Mm -hmm. And, and so there are times where I just, you know, speak with people that don't fit that, right? And, and so I think that is, sadly, you know, I wish I could help everybody, but I can't. So yeah, I that's like any, any <laughs> career, you know, there's always more people out there that 
they're just not the right fit, but it is nice that you can also share with them. It might be an eye-opening experience. They thought they had these credentials or experiences they needed. And just turns out if they did one extra thing, or if they transitioned into a different practice area, they might get into that firm they've always hoped for. So it's nice to know that it's not a no forever. It's kind of also helping them be a better attorney to get to the position they want to be in. Yeah. And I think part of, and, and that kind of goes back to the pros for me, at least, I, I like being able to counsel people, right? You know, as a former attorney, I, I counsel people all the time, right? And so where there are areas where I think they could take to improve their, their skill sets, I'll, I'll share that with them. Even if it's like your resume, right? I'll review the resume and help provide some guidance. How, how can you make that look better? Yeah, that's nice. Even the little things. I mean, people might take that for granted, but that could really set you apart from some other people for sure. I will share. I know sometimes, I don't know if you feel this way, but legal recruiting might not always have the best um, taste in people's mouths, for lack of a better term. I wanted to share an instance I had a couple of weeks ago where somebody had reached out to me on LinkedIn. It said that they worked for a bank. So it's like, okay, yeah, that's fine. And they message me. They're like, oh, I'm new to the area. I'd love to connect. I'm like, okay, you know me, Randall. I love to talk to everybody. So I was like, okay, this sounds good. And then they had me on a call and then blindsided me by trying to loop in somebody I didn't even know who I think was their boss. And before that, I said, I hate to interject, but is this for like a job? Is this legal recruiting? And they said, oh, yeah. I was like, well, I'm a bit surprised because your LinkedIn didn't say that. And I just felt like it wasn't the best, I don't know, experience because she was she said, oh, I didn't know I hadn't updated it which to me was not true. And I just felt like if you're looking for great candidates, that doesn't really put the trust in you that they're looking for. And it makes other legal recruiters, it kind of makes people skeptical. So do you have ways that um, I know you're not like that, but how people can find trust in you and say, okay, this is serious. They're also on my side, even though they're, they might be getting paid by the company they're working for. Sure. So, you know, just like any profession, any career, there are good and bad you know, yeah. <laughs> professionals. Um, you know, I, I think you don't want to be someone as a recruiter, you want to just blast everybody. You want to kind of be targeted too, right? You need to, right. you're looking for the right people. Um, and yes, you do need to cast a wide net, but at the same time, there are ways where you can do it respectfully, mm-hmm. where, you know, you hold our integrity, you know, integrity of our profession up. Um, I think there are some folks that do come in who are newer, who maybe haven't had as much work experience out there, don't know really how attorneys will react, right? I used to be an attorney, so I I, I understand. Yeah, you have you, that unique perspective. Yeah, so it, it, I understand how you feel when you get something like that, right? It's like, why would you reach out to me if I don't do that at all? It's just right. sense, right? Um, there are times where people don't respond back, which is fine. I understand that. Uh, but I think in order to build trust, you have to, it, it does take some time, right? You have to uh, build the relationship. You don't build trust automatically. But I would say that have that conversation with a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that person seems to be someone you think you can work with or trustworthy, um, continue the conversation, right? I, you know, recruiters are people too, right? Yeah. <laughs> we're not robots. Yes, right, yeah. <laughs> to do well, we're trying to help candidates too, right? Yes, we are trying to help the, the clients 
that we are recruiting for, but at the same time, we're also helping the candidates try to find the right opportunities for them. Um, and it's free. <laughs> right, that's the best part, right? <laughs> do not pay the recruiters. And, right. and so if you just open to having a conversation with them, I think it can go a long way because you don't know where that conversation is going to go. Um, but you know, at the same time, you won't know who's trustworthy or not if you don't have the conversation with people. Yeah, that's really helpful. And it makes me feel a little bit better about my situation. I was just very surprised. And I I know you and I know some other people. I was just, I don't think that would be my approach, but it is nice to hear um, tips on how to actually have a beneficial relationship with the legal recruiter. Yeah, do your research too, right? We find, before you, you say yes to that person, look at that person, see, does that person have... Uh, past experience doing what they're mm -hmm. doing right do they what's their former background right um are they in the field that you're looking to get into eventually or you know the are, are they recruiting for the field that you're looking to get into um and so just like any other thing do your due diligence yeah, do, yeah that's great um and i know i want to ask you some hot topic questions about legal recruiting sure. if you're able to share i know people want to know kind of what an average salary for a legal recruiter is and typically how you're compensated so if you could give any insight generally not about you specifically um people might be interested to hear uh, i'll give you a legal answer <laughs> <laughs> I'd expect nothing else. <laughs> I think it depends on the company, the agency, and how they pay, right? I think the, mm -hmm. the, there's not necessarily a standard structure, okay. uh, but I will say generally people who get into this profession, they, they start with a, a base or draw, right? And then most of their compensation is probably from commission. Um, and you can do really well in uh, recruiting uh, of any type of practice area because, you know, the, the way you are paid um, is based on the not, uh, the volume of placements you make with your clients. And the, the placements you make are the ones that, um, they're the, organi the organizations are the ones that generally pay the recruiting agency, right? right? And so um, as a recruiter, the harder, the more book of business you have, the better. And I think it's similar to like a partner, right? The, the larger book of business you have, the more referrals you get. Right, yeah. large, right? And so in terms of numbers, I mean, you can get well into six figures, right, doing this. That's awesome. And I'm sure people will find that interesting to hear um, where they might not be that versed in legal recruiting and knowing that that's an option post-law school, post-bar admission or not. Could you share kind of your growth potential as a legal recruiter? I don't really know kind of the steps or how far up you can go as a legal recruiter within a company. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on, again, what you want to do personally, right? If you are really loving the recruiting and you just want to be an individual contributor, do well financially, you can certainly do that long-term, continue to improve um, your financial standing. If you want to be a leader, you can go into management, mm -hmm. right? Think various companies. I know for my company, for instance, we have market directors who are managers who were recruiters like me, right? And so they were able okay. to take the progression up. After a few years, they learn the whole market, right? And they lead teams. And also go into, you know, I've heard of recruiters going to coaching, uh, which is slightly different, right? You're, you're coaching people up to do what they want to do rather than necessarily do the recruiting. And then, you know, I've heard of attorneys or recruiters going into maybe internal recruiting if they want to do that. Oh, yeah. Or, or firms or career counseling. So there's uh, definitely a variety. I uh, think that's I think there's, a, there's a, the, a wide variety mm -hmm. uh, of people, uh, of 
things you can do. You could go into different types of recruiting, right? <laughs> yeah, switch all together and go to a different market. Yeah. I think a lot of HR leaders uh, start up as recruiters too, right? And so you you kind of learn the, the talent and workforce kind of industry. And so yeah. I appreciate your perspective on this. Hopefully our Wicked Good Lawyers <laughs> listeners get a lot of information from this. So thanks for our segment on From Corporate Counsel to Legal Recruiting. So because we have you here today, Randall, and you are our career expert as of today's episode, um, we want to talk to you about landing your dream job. I know that can mean many things to different people, but how does one go about landing their dream job in the legal industry? Um, well, again, I think it depends on what you want. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I do think we have to really reflect internally on what you want first um, before you can figure out what your dream job is. But what, you know, assuming that you've already done that, right? And if you want to be, let's say, someone who's um, an associate who wants to go a partner track, for instance, right? You, you want to map out your business plan. Um, if you don't already have one, you know, we can do that as well. We help uh, associates and, and partners do that. Uh, you want to drill down what you what value you bring to the table, right? Why are you an asset for, for a firm in their particular practice area? Um, and really think about it. Like, what are your hard skills, right? Mm -hmm. What are your soft skills, right? And how can you trans translate that into the next role? Um, and also, you want to figure out your industry right, and specialty. I know earlier I said, you know, I, I, I covered different industries. Maybe I was a little bit unique, but I think it is important to hone in on a specific area because if you want to get to the next job a lot of firms or you know hiring partners or even companies they want to make sure that they want to know that you have a certain level of expertise in a certain area yeah so you need to start focusing on something it doesn't mean you need you can't be a generalist at the beginning of your career but you need something to hang your hat on right what is it that is the skill that you're the go-to person for. I agree with that hundred percent. Yeah. Because early on it's, you don't want to pigeonhole yourself. And I've been there before where you didn't want to just do one thing because there's so many options and you want to learn better skills, but eventually it is easier to kind of hone down on something to be marketable, not only to a firm or staying on track to be partner somewhere, but also for clients, you know, what are you known for? What do you enjoy doing? So yeah. And then, you know, if you, if you want to go in-house, you need to really do your due diligence selves. Mm -hmm. um, they do function differently than a law firm, right? And so if you're looking to get into ABC company, know everything about them, study their websites, um, know who's there already, be prepared to do your homework, really. Uh, you don't want to just, just apply for random things and then go into the <laughs> like, well, I can do this. Okay, but why does that, how does that help their bottom line, right? What is it in their business that, you, you can support specifically. And then other factors, you know, I think you might want to consider is, are you in the geography where, you know, mm -hmm. where you want to work? Places in the country where um, it, uh, industry isn't as big, right? But you want to get into it. Like for instance, life sciences is huge in this area, but are mm -hmm. you in a region where the, there's not many, you know, life sciences opportunities? Well, move to that location if you can, right? Um, practical things like that. And so you know, I think the last thing I want to, you know, advise is that built a personal narrative. You know, mm -hmm. you want to have a mission early in your career. You want to figure out why do you do what you do? Because I think once you come with that answer, employers will will be able to tell, right, that you right. have 
personal mission. You have a personal narrative. You're not yeah, just something you stand for. Yeah. yeah. Something that you stand for. Mm -hmm. And you can that that will come across in your interviews, right? Yeah. And so I would highly suggest that you somehow develop a personal narrative for why you're doing the work you're doing. And I think a personal narrative will set you apart. It will have key points that they'll hold on to after an interview, after they're still thinking about maybe another candidate. It might set you apart more than somebody else. Definitely a good way to think about trying to land your dream job. And do you see certain practice areas right now being hot practice areas, the most active? I know you focus mainly in New England, so I don't think Yeah, I'll, I'll focus on Massachusetts um, for just for the purpose of this conversation. You know, litigation is still, I think, practice area, then corporate, intellectual property, commercial real estate, and labor and employment. I think those are the top five practice areas in this region. Okay. And um, I'm biased to litigation because that's my whole life. So I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I mean, litigation covers... Obviously, I know very, it's very broad. Yeah, skill set, but you can have commercial litigation. You can have medical malpractice. You know, all civil. You know, litigation is just so broad. Uh, so that that kind of practice area covers a lot of things, right? Yeah. Um, but I think as we're going, coming out of the pandemic, right? Even though we're still technically in it. Yeah. Right. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> right, I think we're seeing more uh, the practice areas kind of transitioning from the need for corporate. M&A practice areas to more of a litigation practice and that's becoming more popular again. Um, and then what I'm also seeing is a lot of firms needing uh, trust and estate attorneys. Mm, interesting. That seems to be a real big up here too. Yeah. yeah, that sounds great. So if anyone's looking out for those, they should definitely um, try and get their skills to transition to something in those practice areas. And I feel like it is so broad, especially with litigation, but once you have those certain skills with litigation, you can really transition to something you want. Like we were saying, honing into a certain area, whether it's med mal, personal injury, um, intellectual property, something like that. Yeah, again, yeah, right. If you're in litigation and you want to get into a specific area, try to get those type of cases, right, where you currently are. Build up your own portfolio, right? Um, what we say for corporate attorneys is that, you know, create a deal sheet so you can see what kind of deals you've done for litigation. I would do something similar, right? What kind of litigation matters have you been assigned to? What kind of deal, you know, cases have you worked on? And then eventually you build up that portfolio and mm -hmm. for your next role, you say, look, I've done this. Here's my, my experience, right? Almost like, like if we were on the Boston Celtics, make your own life deal, right? Exactly. <laughs> yep. That's awesome. So talking about landing our dream job, do you have advice on drafting your resume, doing cover letters or interview skills? Yeah. I mean, for your resume, you can send it to a recruiter. We get feedback. <laughs> send it to anybody, really. Have somebody look, right? Have someone review it. You need yeah. a set of eyes. Um, I, I do, I am obviously biased. I think recruiters see so many that they can probably pinpoint a little bit quicker um, and have experience reviewing it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you don't have a recruiter, um, find a partner, a friend, someone to review it. But you want to proof, proofread, proofread, and proofread. I think that's the main thing there. I, you know, unfortunately, I've seen some, some cases where, you know, deals where interviews were derailed because like, oh, this attorney who should be very detail-oriented was not very detailed. Yeah. So um, those are the scary stories, but you know, it doesn't happen often, but you don't want to be that person. <laughs> um, and then yeah, you don't want to be known for the bad things, right? Yeah. Right, right. Or especially right off the bat. Um, and then you want to quantify and qualify whenever possible. Um, put in numbers, 
right? That helps. How many have you done? You know, um, how big was the deal? Uh, that that always looks good. Um, and then don't make the resume too fancy. Mm -hmm. um, remember the the audience who will be reading it, they don't have that much time. And so if you have to, if a, the hiring manager has to interpret what your resume is saying, you're not going to get the job, right? Yeah, it help. <laughs> Keep it simple, stupid, right? And so lay it out, what have you done and how do your skills translate, really? Mm -hmm. And then for a cover letter, you know, I would not, you know, if you work with a recruiter, recruiter you actually don't need a cover letter. We help you draft something. Um, oh, that's nice because yeah. cover letters are not my friend. And I think a lot of people say that. I agree. I don't like cover letters either. <laughs> but if you do have to do one and, and um, you, you want to do it yourself, um, I would definitely not regurgitate what's on your resume. Okay. Use, use a, res uh, a cover letter to tell a story, mm -hmm. right? Something that doesn't pop out, out of your resume and you need to convey it in a, in a brief way. Well, you know, something that's... Um, that you need to explain, for instance, use a cover letter for it. Right? Kind of like you were saying, a personal narrative. Exactly. You mm -hmm. can use that time to build a personal narrative. How did you get from point A to point B, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. If it was kind of a winding road, explain it. And then um, for your for interviews, you know, yeah. I guess be prepared. You know, do your homework. Again, practice with a recruiter. Practice with your partner. Practice with a friend. Practice with a family member. You always want to be prepared uh, before you get into either the Zoom meeting <laughs> or, or in the office, right? You don't want to be jumbling your words. Um, I think for, for, for laterals, um, interviewing is different than, let's say, OCI. It's a different right. process. Yeah. You need to connect and research your interviewers, well, um, connect with your interviewers, right? Find out wh who they are beforehand. Um, you know, do you, is there anything in common? You guys come from the same town, same school, same interests, things like that, right? Also, be confident. I always tell uh, my candidates, be confident in who you are and what you've done. Never dismiss what you've done in your career, right? This is a time to really put your best foot forward and convey to the person, the interviewer, why you're the best person for the job. So. Right. Right? What are your assets? Mm -hmm. You might not be the perfect candidate, which nobody really is the perfect candidate. Right? <laughs> um, but what That's are nice your to hear. <laughs> <laughs> what are your strengths, and how can you become that perfect person? That they're yeah, how can you become that perfect person? I like that for sure. <laughs> that sounds good. And, and thank you notes. Thank you notes at the end. <laughs> I, I used to see before. I think I went out still in law school. A lot of articles would say the first thing they would look at during an interview are your shoes. So now I wonder with things being over Zoom, what's the first thing they look at? I don't know. Any inside scoop? That's a good, good question. <laughs> I don't know what people are looking at, but sometimes what I look at when I'm interviewing people over Zoom, their backgrounds. Uh, make sure you either have a very plain background or you know you have a logo or something. Or you blur it out if you want, but if you don't blur it out, right? Make sure you're your kitchen table in the back is clear. <laughs> you, you don't have clothes. Simple thoughts, your, yeah. Your couch, which I've seen and I've had to review, uh, remind candidates, make sure you might, you know, take off the exercise clothes off the couch behind you, or, <laughs> you know. The dirty laundry basket behind you, yeah. Just scoot that a little out of the screen. Or if you have like, you know, 
a beer can on top of your bookshelf behind you, you might want to yeah. look at that. <laughs> yeah. This is simple, but great advice. You know, oh, people overlook stuff. these things. Yeah. Especially when they're nervous, you know, you never know. Do you have experience with helping partners transition to a new partnership? I think this is an interesting topic because I never really thought about partners almost jumping ship, but I, I've been seeing it a lot lately. So partners do make changes all the time. And actually, you know, I can give you some stats. Um, you yeah, know, that'd be great. This And this is national. Um, and just through the first, th first three quarters of this year, there have been almost 4,050 partner moves at large and mid-sized law firms nationally. And that's up from 2021, which was um, 3,729 through the same time. Wow. Um, and in terms of where, what practice areas, you know, 27% of them have been litigation, 22% mm -hmm. have been in intellectual property, 10% have been in banking and finance. And so partners are also looking for opportunities to improve their current situation, you know, be it financial, right? Maybe they can make more money, um, better working environment, better yeah. credit, similar, to, you know, similar to what associates are looking for. Agreed, yeah. Right? That maybe better origination credit system, um, maybe more meritocracy. Um, and no, for, no two firms are really the same. So mm -hmm. they're looking for a, a, a better platform, right? Yeah. So they can continue to grow their business. Yeah. Uh, maybe there's more cross-selling opportunities to mushroom accounts. Oh, right? true, yeah. Um, and what we mentioned earlier, better technology. Mm -hmm. So there are various reasons why partners make a, leap, uh, a jump too. Do you see partners usually go through legal recruiters or kind of a connection they've already made with somebody in that firm? I think it was both. I think um, we certainly work with partners, right? And we certainly have seen partners. I've had friends who made it to different uh, places because they've had connections, right? You know, Boston's a small community. The legal community generally is a small community. So people do yeah. know each other. Right. Sometimes it's more advantageous to go through a recruiter, though, than a firm trying to poach someone directly, <laughs> too. So, um Obviously, I would say use a recruiter, but it depends. <laughs> <laughs> We're not biased or anything, but yes, definitely use Randall. Shout out to Randall. Um, and then just going off of that a bit with resumes, I should have asked a bit earlier, but I always wonder if legal recruiters have advice in filling gaps on a resume. I haven't had the experience where I'm a parent or had a layoff, knock on wood, but you know, those things happen. Are there certain things people can do in the legal industry to help that? Or is it more you would address it in an interview? Yeah, no, it certainly happens. And, you know, for various reasons, life gets in the way, but it's not really yeah. life in the way, it's life, right? And so, um, I would just be prepared to discuss it, right? You want to, you know, I always say get ahead of something mm -hmm. uh, before it surprises anybody. And so, you know, if you're working with a recruiter, the recruiter can help explain it to the to the firm or, or company. Or you, yeah. Or you. Um, so I would say when you're working with a recruiter, be honest. What happened, right? Why is there a gap there? Um, if, if you're not working with a recruiter and, and you need to um, try to explain what you did during that time, um, well, during that time, make sure you're, you're staying on top of the subject matter. Are you taking CLEs? Are you doing all these other things? Are you volunteering? Um, did you take the opportunity to sharpen your skills? Uh, but you just want to be intentional about what happened, why you left. You know, people get laid off. Yeah, it happens, right? Right. Um, and, and people are, are go on leave for medical and, you know, reasons or because they, they're taking care of children, which is, we all, as we all know, it's a huge task, right? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and actually, there's there's an interesting 
um, resource. It's called the pregnancy pause mm -hmm. uh, that if you're going out on leave because of parental leave, for instance, you can actually list them uh, as an employer. Oh, wow. I didn't know yeah. that. So it's called the pregnancy pause. And, you know, you add your title as, let's say, mom at the company, uh, the pregnancy pause. And, and then under your LinkedIn profile, it says experience for the duration of the leave. And then um, you can explain what you, you did there. It could be something like designer of human life and hands-on. <laughs> right. So um, that's cool. That's yeah. nice. Yeah. I, I know we wouldn't have been seeing that in the 70s on somebody's <laughs> for sure. So that is interesting that they're being more um, inclusive, which I appreciate. So thanks for the advice on that. And I do want to talk about the new trend and the hot topic of quote unquote quiet quitting. Um, I've been seeing this all over LinkedIn. I don't know if you've been seeing it as well. Um, but I think law firms are getting hit with quiet quitting or just straight out quitting. We're seeing associates, partners either jumping ship or just leaving the industry altogether, um, whether it's to work, uh, focus on work-life balance or go try something new. Have you been seeing this trend as well? It's interesting. I, um, I, I, I've certainly read about it and, you know, I, I know people who have done it, uh, you know, personally, <laughs> so-called quiet quitting, it just basically means they're not putting the effort in, right? And, mm -hmm. and they're ready to make the move. Um, you know, maybe this is anecdotal, but I don't know if attorneys necessarily are doing that as much. I, I feel like, not to generalize, but attorneys are, are somewhat type A, right? And so, yeah, for the most part. Right, right. So I don't see it as much of a, as a problem. Um, I have start, I've heard of people quit because of other reasons, toxic work environment, or they just need to get out right. for a number of reasons. Um, but I don't necessarily link it to quiet quitting. Okay, that's good to hear. I haven't really seen that much. At least yeah, cool. I do. yeah, but they might be quiet about it, but I'm exactly. <laughs> <laughs> just nobody's gonna be loud. Not, I won't say nobody. Probably yeah, Fewer people are going to be allowed about <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And then just for some wrapping up advice, what would you tell a 1L starting off on this amazing profession? Do you have any advice in kind of getting that first job or sticking with it? Yeah, the profession as in being a lawyer? Yeah, or just once they get their JD, just in the legal industry. Yeah, I mean, find a mentor. Mm -hmm. Important, right? Find someone that you can um, connect with that will ch champion your causes and, 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 you know, help develop you as an attorney. I think, as I mentioned earlier, going through law school and practicing law is totally different. And you need to learn from people. It's an apprenticeship type of career. And I would advise, you know, if you don't have one now, try to find someone in, in your life, be it at your current uh, employer, if you're a law clerk somewhere, um, find someone who can be your mentor. Um, but even uh, on top of that, I, I think you want to, I think we've talked about it too, find a focus. Yeah. Right? Uh, I think that's important. You don't want to go into the career not knowing what you want to do. And a lot of people do that. And I, I think it's fine, but I think it's easier if you can find a focus. Yeah, I, I think that's true as well. I knew I always wanted to do litigation and I always say that even now. I do so many different types of litigation, which I love, but it does help you at least if you know what type of sector you want to go in and then narrowing it down once you get more experience. I think that's great advice. And do you feel like it's ever too late for somebody to make a switch from a practicing attorney to something new? 
Uh, I don't think it's ever too late. I did it late, and I think uh, I think you can always transition. I think in any career, um, if you have a growth mindset, right, and you always want to learn about new things, you can always make that change. Yeah, and I always think it's so special in the legal profession. I know we always have our ups and downs, but the diversity of people, practice areas, work experience, it's... I mean, you might not see it everywhere, but I see it a lot in my day to day. The different careers and paths that we talk about, things you never even hear about in law school, whether you're in-house for a startup, working for an AM100 law firm, being a legal recruiter, working in a solo, you know, the sky's the limit, which is nice, um, especially in an industry like this. So I definitely appreciate all your advice on that. Now to finish up our episode with Randall today, we're going to do our infamous three under three. So our first question is, what is your favorite restaurant? Well, I love ramen, first of all. So yeah. I, I, I've got three, two really good ramen places I love to go to, even though I haven't gone to much in the last couple of years. That's okay. Uh, Santuca Ramen in Harvard Square, and then Sapporo Ramen in Porter Square. Yum. Another restaurant I really like in Cambridge is Oleana. It's not ramen. Um, but it's, they got a great uh, patio in the back. Oh, nice. Yeah. You can't beat a patio, especially with our few uh, summer days here. So that's good to hear. And then question number two, what do you enjoy doing in your spare time? Um, other than spending time with my family and kids, I love to play basketball. I love awesome. Play, I used to play more when I was younger, but I still love to play and follow basketball. And I say now you get to watch the Boston Celtics. To watch the Boston Celtics, right? How are we this season? They're go they're doing well right now. I think as of today, they're six and three, the third in the a third in the conference. Good. Okay, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> and our third and final question is: What is your best memory about being a lawyer, or you could as a legal recruiter? Um. Well, I I think it's combined, right? And so I don't necessarily have one specific memory. I remember being uh that's my favorite, but. I think being a lawyer and being able to help my clients, help people, right, and, uh, be their champion, be their advocate. I like that whole process. And I think that's what I like about being a legal recruiter because I can do the same thing. Yeah, that's awesome. I really hear the passion you have for helping other people as being a legal recruiter, even when you're a lawyer. So I want to thank you, thank you, thank you for being with Wicked Good Lawyers today. And I hope people will take the time to reach out to you, connect with him on LinkedIn, or feel free to email him at Randall with two L's dot E-Y-E-E -E at L-H-H.com. Thanks, Randall. Thank you so much. And it was wicked awesome. Yes. <laughs>